0: I'm Dan Kendall, and you're listening to Digital Health Today, Asia-Pacific Edition. Did you know that this is just one of the many shows that we create? In fact, from original podcasts like this one, to patient and professional educational content, to digital marketing, and even podcast advertising, we do a lot more than simply host conversations. We're Mission Based Media. Visit our website to learn more at missionbasedmedia.com.
1: Welcome to Digital Health Today, Asia Pacific Edition, your go-to podcast to learn about the transformation of healthcare in a region with over 4.5 billion people across more than 40 countries. I'm your host, Tony Estrella. Today, I'd like to introduce Snehal Patel, a doctor, lawyer, investor, entrepreneur, and CEO of MyDoc. The diversity and depth of his background come together into a common mission: creating value-based digital health for better outcomes. In today's episode, we'll learn more about this mission and how MyDoc solutions, including telehealth, fit into a broader ecosystem of companies. So let's get started. Snehal, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Tony, for having me. Super psyched about it.
1: Yeah. So you've been immersed in many facets of healthcare. I introduced you with many titles and backgrounds, and all of those have helped to hone your personal skill set. And you've also worked across multiple geographies. What led you to focus on healthcare and basing yourself here in Singapore and looking at Southeast Asia?
0: Well, Tony, like it's a great story. I started off my career in New York, where I was a medical student, and realized that some way during my education that I really wanted to experience the world of healthcare above and beyond the four walls of the hospital. So I took a very circuitous route to my particular vantage point here in Singapore, Started off doing work as a transactional attorney, looking at healthcare from the perspective of biopharma and M&A transactions. I got a really good understanding of how you know, innovators are building new businesses by you know, looking at how companies are acquired. And that sort of really, it really kind of jogged my imagination in terms of, do I really want to be in, in a business where I can start to create value and, and sort of move forward in, in interesting models? And I've always been sort of fascinated by Asia because as an ethnic Indian, having grown up in the U.S., It's a market that has always sort of appealed to me, and there was a lot of buzz in terms of what was going on in Asia. I had an interesting opportunity to move out here several years ago to actually lead a a healthcare investment team at a a private equity fund, uh, now known as the Claremont Group, the Chandler Corporation back then. And it was interesting because I got to focus on a specific part of the healthcare value chain, which I've always been intrigued about, which is really that the initial contact point for patients. So primary care, you know, we've there's a lot of discussion around how primary care is the core to models such as the NHS in the UK. We debate it endlessly in the US. But in Asia, it's really the, the first point of contact for most care providers. And when I first came out here, what was really fascinating about it was we were witnessing the first boom of a huge cadre of the middle class sort of rising out of poverty and moving into sort of a socioeconomic strata where they had access to care for the first time. And, you know, as we quickly realized, the things that most, most people care about, most families as they are sort of emerging into this middle class, are education for their children so that they can continue to sort of develop and, and continue to grow from a wealth perspective, but also making sure that they have enough and quality care to ensure that they don't slip back down into poverty. So I think that really kind of galvanized my understanding of the market. Uh, I spent a lot of time in India initially where I was able to see that transformation in front of me occurring. Like you'd see these little clinics and in in neighborhoods popping up, but then realized that there was a, a lack of standardization and a lack of sort of specific elements that would allow these little small clinics to really prosper. And so that's kind of how I started to really understand the business of healthcare, having gone from you know, being a clinician, being a deal person into actually looking at the operating models of healthcare. And that was a nice segue into you know, building up a business where we were in India, Indonesia, Vietnam, Philippines, again, focused very much on this primary care, you know, as I say, the, the front door to healthcare um, at that time, and not, not digital front door, I mean, these are all brick and mortar clinics, but it really got me understanding how that model worked. And then, you know, I think the, the MyDoc origin story comes from there.
1: Before we jump into MyDoc, I started this episode off by saying your personal mission is around value-based healthcare. Can you define what you mean by that to our audience?
0: Yes. Uh, as a term of art, value-based healthcare has several different definitions, but the way I look at it is quite simple. It's a mechanism where the delivery of healthcare is provided between patient and provider, but the risk of the care, in other words, the outcome of that care is allocated accordingly between provider and the ultimate payer, right? So when we talk about payers, we discuss, you know, there are governments that are, are payers. Payers are people that will actually pay the care, in some markets, especially in sort of more developing markets, the payer is the patient, right? So they actually pay out of pocket, but you also have insurance companies. I think typically we think of insurance companies as a payer. So I think the way that value-based healthcare is really structured, and another way to think about it is how it compares to the current model, which is fee-for-service. So value-based healthcare, you know, we, we are all optimized to provide the best outcomes because providers that provide better outcomes get paid more. They retain more of their, the money they're being paid. But equally speaking, it allows the payer to know that we are optimizing the system for better outcomes.
1: So it's linking not just the fact that care has been provided or an intervention has happened, but that the outcome and the efficacy of that intervention actually led to something positive for the person that had to go through the medical care.
0: That's, that's right. I mean, and I just the, the one key element there is that there is a realization of the risk of the outcome is not borne by just one party alone, right? So the providers in that particular network bear some risk, but they also bear the upside, right? If they're able to provide great care consistently, then they are able to benefit financially from that as well. So it's about sort of having both parties having skin in the game, and that ultimately benefits patients in in a way because it aligns incentives to really prioritize better care and better outcomes.
1: Yeah, and so if I remember correctly, you're a second-generation doctor by training, right? Your father was a doctor. And I imagine that some of that led you to then decide at some point you wanted to build this company to help achieve this type of outcome. And and MyDoc is that company. Can you tell us a little bit more about what is MyDoc? What does it do? And how does your background as a clinician and all these other hats that you've worn come together into this business?
0: Uh, Yeah, I'd love to, Tony. I think maybe I'll I'll pick up from my the transition from my work at Chandler leading to the founding of my doc, the one thing that I realized as we were building businesses across the region, and as I mentioned, we were in markets as different as Indonesia, India, Vietnam, Philippines, was the commonality that surrounded this access to care issue. You can be in markets that differ quite markedly in terms of socioeconomic levels, you know, sort of even culture, but the common. Strand was how do you get proper access to care? And primary care in that entire chain became a very critical element that was really not really well developed. And you know what started to really dawn on us as we're building these businesses, again, mostly in the brick and mortar space, there was very little tech at the time. But the realization was that there, there had to be a way to, you know at the risk of sort of using an analogy that's been well trod so far, of making the the copper wire to, you know, sort of wireless transformation to occur. And, you know, in terms of these widely disparate markets that have lots of gaps of infrastructure, the digital ability to create a digital gateway between patient and provider just started to become pretty obvious. And so that's really kind of where my doc started from, saying, look, how are we going to connect these millions and millions of consumers and patients uh, into an effective care delivery platform when they don't even have basic infrastructure but then on top of which we started to quickly realize that all the markets also unfortunately bore another similar resemblance which is because they tended to be uh, at the time there's very little national insurance uh, there was actually very little third party insurance and there still is the, the penetration of insurance in this region is, is significantly lower than in the west for example because of those factors provider groups have always operated on as you suspect uh, which is normal a cash-for-service business or a fee-for-service model. But as we have learned through looking at markets like the United States and other countries that have gone down this path, those models end up having a tremendous amount of difficulty scaling in a way that's cost-manageable, cost-sustainable, especially when you have these um, overarching issues around rapidly aging population, a rising amount of non-communicable disease burden. So all those together started to make this idea of a value-based care model make a lot more sense in any of the markets in Southeast Asia. And that's sort of why the transformation has occurred. And then the mission became very clear. Look, we need to basically bring this digital gateway between patient and provider, but we also have to create an economic model that's going to help really prioritize quality care and then bear that risk accordingly so that we can start to really take fairly meager resources and reprioritize those resources to provide the best care possible. So that's I think that's kind of the way that we sort of bridge the the two sides of this coin.
1: Got it. So Frost and Sullivan, for example, when they gave an award last year, it was for being the leading telehealth company in this part of the world. And so telehealth is fits into this because that's that gateway, the technology gateway. But the ultimate vision is much broader than that.
0: That's that's correct, Tony. I mean, I, I think telemedicine and, and more broadly COVID, and I'm sure at this point all of our your listeners and everyone else are. Kind of tired of listening about COVID and COVID related impacts. But to be completely clear, it's because of COVID that telemedicine has now been able to gain critical acceptance across the region. I often, when I give talks, I usually start my any discussion around telemedicine with a basically the front cover of a magazine that has far long ago lapsed into history called Radio News. And the cover was from 19, I think is 1929. Where the cover showed a picture, a painting, because it was a painting at the time, of a doctor coming out of the radio, and it says, "The radio doctor will see you now." And I use that as more kind of an interesting, you know, talking point when I start these discussions because you know, we always will fall in love with technology, but we forget the real purposes of, of that technology. And my analogy for bringing that up to what value based care is and how telemedicine plays into it is, you know, again, telemedicine is a just it's, it's the screen door to healthcare, using a very well known metaphor it's an absolute critical part of being able to launch a proper sustainable value based system because you need to have the data you need to have the interconnectivity between the different provider networks and all that's going to happen through a digital gateway but without that acceptance of people going through that door you really can't get really the benefits of the of the rest of it and so i think that's why telemedicine is critical but it is the metaphorical tip of the iceberg we need that tip in order for the rest of the iceberg to exist But we can't ignore that the greater transformation, the much greater impact is going to come because consumers are going to be able to access the depth of all of that that is there that's going to make this sustainable.
1: And the opportunity in Asia Pacific seems to be massive, right? If you look at the size of the population in India and China, or if we look at within Southeast Asia and Indonesia, there was a WHO stat which stood out to me, which is that Indonesia has only four doctors and 12 hospital beds for every 10,000 people. It's one country, one data point, but there's just a massive disparity in terms of being able to get easy access for individuals. And as you look at the business growth for MyDoc, you mentioned tip of the iceberg for this being telemedicine. There's a broader ecosystem that needs to be involved to create true value-based healthcare, and you're working with some of those partners. Can you tell us more about what is the ecosystem that is coming together with MyDoc and how do those pieces fit in?
0: Absolutely. Uh, in order to have a proper system where risk is shared, where outcomes become really sort of prioritized, in my mind, you need a, a bare minimum of at least two other ecosystem partners. On one hand, you need to have a third-party payer, an insurance company or insurer. It could be the government. It could be a private third-party payer that is in the business of understanding risk, right? That, that is in the business of insuring risk. And those groups tend to be motivated and incentivized to look at organiz- or models like this because, quite simply, it makes it pretty easy for them. Uh, if, if it works, it reduces their cost, right? So it allows them to offer more competitive products in the market, but it also allows them to manage that in an effective way. The other group that's obviously critical in a proper value-based model is the provider networks. This is where you need need doctors, you need care provisions, and you actually also need the downstream sort of care facility. So this is not pure digital in the sense that people just use telemedicine. It's about how you're able to then hand off from an online sort of ecosystem plate to an offline network provider for patients that need more complex levels of care. All of that has to be built, and it all has to transition in a way that makes it seamless to the patient. Otherwise, you run the risk of actually not being able to achieve the overall goals that you're trying to set out to do. And so, yeah, what we've been doing since our inception is working with all of these various ecosystem partners to understand who are the people that have the same orientation as us, to focus on being able to channel patients in a way that's going to really redistribute the sort of level of risk. And, you know, also the economic model, right? So for us as an organization, you know, as a business, we have to make money. We do so primarily through being able to provide the services we provide, but increasingly the conversation is now shifting around how do we then reap the rewards if, for example, through our intervention and through our management, patients end up costing less to a payer. And that incentive structure becomes very critical in making these models scale.
1: So I think you you answered my next question in a way, which is that as a result of the connectivity you have to make between ecosystems your expertise as a business has to rely on your clinical background as well. So it's not just enough to be a technology organization helping uh, to connect people. You need to be able to connect with the real deep parts of healthcare providers and and payers to make this whole system work. So with that expertise that you've built, I know we've spoken in the past that yes, you're focused on Southeast Asia, but you also have global interactions and global opportunities for growth. Can you tell us a bit more about how that's coming about?
0: For us as an organization that's focusing on the, that intersection between clinical care and technology, there are definitely very interesting conversations outside of the region where we're able to leverage our technology stack and provide solutions to customers more as a technology provider than as a full-stack service plus technology business. So those conversations have progressed pretty markedly. We've actually launched an initial model like this in the U.S. market, for example, where there is a significant need for more and more partners to come on board, just given the size of the market, as well as the complexity of the issues that, that most Americans face. So that's been very interesting for us. And it's giving us a, an understanding of how you take a, you know, an organization like ours and sort of repurpose it for that particular mission. But I also think that ultimately the way that value-based care is going to come along is the other part of it that we haven't discussed, the other partner, which is the government's. And I think even there, you're starting to see a lot of move, you know, even locally here in Singapore, the Ministry of Health has been pretty, is becoming increasingly vocal about the need for a value-based approach toward healthcare. And this is, again, being driven by really very basic and common sense issues, right? You know, we just had the budget published here. The reason why taxes are going up Number one, it actually it was all over the copy. It was because of healthcare costs, right? So it's interesting. It's not because of COVID. It's not because of COVID level impacts, so of course, on the broader economy. But the explanation for the reason why more revenue is needed for the government is because of healthcare costs. So, I think that overarching logic and that sort of need to basically tackle this issue is going to really drive adoption of these approaches. And what I think is going to be interesting is to see how, you know, with any level of disruption as we've seen in other sectors. There are potentially winners or potentially losers. The good thing about healthcare is that it's not winner take all. Like there's no reason why you know some person comes in or a new company comes in and destroys or takes out an incumbent. If the model works well, then actually what happens is the new technology providers and the new companies actually complement the ecosystem, and everyone sort of wins because we're able to be more efficient at specializing in what we do and then handing over, providers, patients to the next level where the next organization can sort of manage that based on their own expertise. So I'm hopeful that that's the way that the transformation will will take place.
1: Yeah. And and another way of saying that is that eventually there needs to be, from the individual perspective seeking care, a closed loop that brings all of these solutions in a way that helps to solve their individual challenges. So if we look forward uh, next two, three years, what are some of the trends that you're following to help close that loop that where my doc fits in, has a tight connection with its ecosystem partners, perhaps even expand your product offerings to create that closed loop.
0: Yeah, I think it's really around, as you said, connectivity. I think there's more and more opportunities on the technology side for that connectivity to be out of the box. So it becomes easier to do the integrative care that people have known from a very long time is the right approach, but has not really existed. You know, for example, you know, we really pride ourselves on being innovative We've had a couple of patents that we've had filed that we just accepted or we just received acceptance uh, last year that were granted to us. And so we were looking forward to taking some of that IP and actually helping use that to build out that connectivity. It's, It's all around the connectivity layer. So taking patients from a digital online experience to an offline experience and doing so in a way that really helps. Again, put the patient first and foremost, and I think maybe as a slight segue or a slight sort of tangent, One thing that I think we get lost in, in every conversation on healthcare, is how relevant any of these innovations are to the patient and the level of patient care that's necessary. I am personally overjoyed with the fact that as painful as this pandemic has been, other than telemedicine, the other beneficiary as a category in healthcare that has really, I think, become more the top of people's consciousness is mental health, right? So we now are looking at, and it's particularly in a region like Asia, where it's typically been sort of it's been very stigmatized so folks don't really talk about it, you know, that mental health, the ability or the recognition that the way that patients or people perceive risk, threat, etc., and how that will then modify their behavior is absolutely critical. It's absolutely critical to making sure that any of these models we're talking about of care delivery will succeed, right? And so I think that sort of restructuring everyone to think about Mental health is obviously a it's a clinical category, but mental health, more broadly speaking, is really looking at patient well-being and being able to use that as an organizing principle on how all these different pieces are connected together. I think that's gonna be the the key thing. And that's what we're focused on, right? As a company, we need to know, okay, if we, we structure the way that the patient is gonna experience care in a certain way, is this going to help improve their mood to basically complete that transaction, i.e., go and see the provider they need to go see? And so if you have a patient-centric view, like again, it's a very big buzzword, patient centricity. But if you actually really do believe that ethos, you'll start to understand how a lot of these uh, systems are going to line up and what the logical implementation will be to take person A from sick to well, right?
1: Yeah, and adding a couple of buzzwords or keywords that, that people are talking about, where you have remote diagnostics with actual measurements that can be taken in a person's home or in their hand through their smartphone on one end of the spectrum before they have to receive interventions. Or on the other end, digital therapeutics, where you know after diagnosis, some intervention can take place that may, may or may not necessarily be in the doctor's office. Those fit into the broader ecosystem you're describing. So we're coming up on time here, Snehal. Thanks so much for your your thoughts and, and insight here. Really appreciate you sharing your views on value-based healthcare. How can our audience reach you if they're interested in learning more?
0: Yeah, please uh, reach me at my email address. So Snehal Snehal, S-N-E-H-A-L.patel at my-doc.com. Happy to discuss this uh, anytime. Very passionate about it. So
1: Great. And we'll put your LinkedIn and your email link as part of the show notes as well. Thanks again for joining us here. Thank you, Tony. And that's a wrap on this episode. As I mentioned, Snehal's email and LinkedIn are included in the show notes, along with other relevant ones for him and my doc. Before I go, here's how you, our audience, can support us. Please share this podcast with others. And if you subscribe, you'll get updates on new episodes and other content. Through my website, www.tonyastreya.com, you can learn more about my writing and links to reach me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and WeChat. And finally, please visit our website at digitalhealthtoday.com to hear other episodes from our podcasting team. This show was researched and written by Taliosa and produced along with Mission Based Media. The sound and music was by Ivan Jurich. And until next time, I'm Tony Estrella, and thank you for listening.
0: Hey, Dan Kendall here. Thanks for tuning in to Digital Health Today, Asia Pacific Edition. This episode may be over, but there's plenty more where this came from. Just visit our website to find other great shows featuring digital health leaders and innovators. Find us at digitalhealthtoday.com. That's digitalhealthtoday.com.